This morning, we've got an amazing story to look through. We're in our sermon series. It's called Face to Face with Jesus. And we're talking about moments in Scripture where people have encounters with Christ. And this morning's is, I love it because it's Palm Sunday. We're getting ready for Holy Week. And and when we think of Palm Sunday, we think of the words Hosanna. We think of praises. We think of all the excitement that comes with, with the king is coming to town. But there's not many other areas in Scripture. For me, when I look at it, I say, there's so far differing opinions in this story. There's really three opinions we see because for some people, when Jesus came to town, they were excited because they knew who he was. They knew he was the son of God. They didn't need to see anything else. They didn't need to hear anything else. They knew he was the son of God. There was those who saw him as a savior and not the type of savior that you may think. There's those that saw him as this political figure, this Jesus who was going to come down on his war horse and and he was going to defeat the Romans and he was going to set the Israelites free yet again and he was going to be our political king. And then there was those that saw Palm Sunday as a complete hot mess. We want nothing to do with this. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a teacher of the law. I'm part of the Sanhedrin, and we've got this guy going around healing people on Sunday. He shouldn't be doing anything on Sunday. How dare he? And not only that, he's claiming to be the Son of God. Come on. But he did just down the street heal this guy who was dead for four days. I don't know what to do with that if I'm a Sanhedrin or if I'm one of the Pharisees. Because you can't refute that. I mean, if someone had tripped and fallen and knocked themselves out and you or I get over top of them and we pray and then they they get up, we can make the statement, well, that person was just knocked out. They were good. But, But Lazarus was in the tomb for a few days. There's a lot of stink that takes place in a few days. And Jesus says to him, come out of the grave. You are not done. You are not dead. So these guys just, they don't know what to do with that. So there's three parties we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the the people who got it, the people who didn't really quite get it, and then the people who really didn't get it. (laughs) So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke 19 with me this morning. And as you're doing that, um, you can go to the app or you can use that little sheet that you got when you came in the door. Um, I want to set the stage for us. You know, I want you to get into the mindset of Christmas. It's kind of like our biggest holiday, right? Well, what's happening in town is the Jews are preparing for Passover. You think about when you're preparing for Christmas and how you get your work done and you kind of try to get ahead and any of those leftover vacation days that you might not have used, you're, you're going to lose them here in a, in a few weeks. So you, you use them at Christmas so that you can spend time with family and you get your job done and maybe you close the office for a few days, but, but you go home, right? You go home. And so what's happening is as the Passover is getting ready to happen, this is one of those big times of the year where the family comes together. People are, are going home. They're going to Jerusalem. They're, they're getting ready to worship God. And, and as they're preparing for this, there's this, this hubbub around town about this man who, who actually healed this, this crippled guy. He said, get up and take your mat and go. He, there's this other guy that, that was blind and he healed him. And then there's the dead guy. You heard a story of a man who was dead beyond stink, and he brought him back to life. 
and he made them beautiful again. This guy's coming to your hometown to preach. So it's a festival, it's a holiday, you're, you're a good practicing Jew. You're going to want to go see what the hubbub is about this, this guy. They're calling him Jesus, I think. So that's our setting. I want you to imagine a world, I know this is going to be hard, where the country's divided. Let's say there's two political parties. There's one political party. That they're, they're kind of the blue-collared, middle class, and they have family values at heart. They, they really believe that, this is the Pharisees I'm talking about, they, they believe that there's life after death, and they believe that if, if you just hold to the Torah or to the, to the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, and you participate in the oral tradition, that it's, as long as you work this way, that maybe one day if you keep the laws, you'll, you'll get to see God. And then there's this other political party, um, they're called the Sadducees. And, and literally someone told me this little phrase that I want to... He said, they're Sadducee because they don't believe in eternal life. And that's who they are. They're the elite. They're these, they're these scholars, these people who know better than believe in this backwater religion garbage. They're the political figures. Their main purpose, these, these uh, Sadducees, is to make sure that the, the balance between the Jews and the Romans stays happy. Politically correct. We don't want to upset the Romans. We don't want to have Egypt all over again. And so you've got these Pharisees are in town. You've got these Sadducees. And the Sadducees really didn't care much about Jesus until they started hearing the Romans. And the Hellenists talking about this guy. Wait a second. This Jesus knucklehead has the opportunity to really upset the balance of our relationship with Rome. And so... What wasn't a problem for the Sadducees is now a problem for them. The Pharisees since day one have, for some reason, just had it out against Jesus. Maybe it's because if Jesus was who he really said he was, the chief priests and the Pharisees would basically be wrong. They wouldn't have their authority. And so they're disgruntled. They're looking at Jesus' life through their own personal lens. And the same for these people that were waiting for this political king is Jesus was not what they were expecting. And so church, I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you listen to what God is saying to you through the lens of somebody else? Do you listen to what God is saying to you through the lens of your politics? Through the lens of your favorite reformer, through the lens of your favorite theological camp? Or do you look at your theological camp through the lens of God? Do you look at your politics through the lens of God? Because often we get it backwards. And when we get it backwards, we become hypocrites. We become disgruntled. And we become nitpickers like the Pharisees. You have... The town is, is, is bustling with people. Did I mention that Jesus raised the guy from the dead? We say that, like, ah, oh, that's okay, that's cool. He raised the guy from the dead. If that doesn't impress you, I'm done. I don't know what else to do. I mean, short of him raising himself, which he does at the end of the week. That's amazing. And so as this is happening, 
People are hearing about this. And so their word's getting out that Jesus is going to Jerusalem. So there's all these people now making their way to Jerusalem for the holiday to be with their families. There's now these people that believe in Jesus who have run forward to Jerusalem to be there when he gets there. Because something grand's going to happen. He's going to get to Jerusalem. It's going to be amazing. And so you've got these disciples that are now kind of on the bandwagon of Jesus. And maybe it's culturally popular to follow Jesus right now, but they're in town. You've got the 12 disciples who were in town. And so there's just this magnificent polarizing play about to take place. It says these words as we talk about, for us, the triumphant entry. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. He had approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell them the Lord needs it. But I want you to ask this question. If you're a farmer, forget that. You have a dog. and someone walks into your yard and is untying your dog... What's your reaction going to be? Why are you untying my dog? Why are you untying my horse? I I want us to get into the moment. I I want to paint for us this picture because these events really happened. And so when Jesus says these words to a good Jew, what they're hearing is something so much more deeper than go get me a donkey. What they're hearing is is a prophecy being spoke about. You see, when Jesus mentions that he's going to ride into town on this donkey, he's speaking specifically about a prophecy that was written about him in Zechariah 9.9, where it says these words, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteously and victorious, lowly riding on a donkey, on a colt, colt, the foal of a donkey. Do you know the donkey is actually quite significant? Nothing that Jesus does is by accident. Not only is he fulfilling prophecy, proving that he is who he says he is, he's, he's demonstrating this beautiful humility because you see, think of any like war story other than Shrek, okay? Someone corrected me earlier. What king ever rides into battle on a donkey? None. Do you know Why? Because a donkey is not a warrior. A horse is a warrior. When your king goes into battle, you want him to be on a steed with armor on it. You want it to be this muscular, strong animal. And so when a king would ride into battle, he would ride into battle on the back of a horse. Do you know when he would ride on the back of a colt or a donkey? In times of peace. And times of proclamation of victory. Isn't that cool? That Jesus is going to ride into town claiming, I am bringing you true peace. I bring victory. And so, the two that were sent ahead, they found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owner asked them, why are you untying the colt? Just like any of us would. These events really happened. They replied, the Lord needs it. And I'm assuming there was nothing that ensued afterwards. The guy understood that. 
They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt, and they put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down from the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to joyfully praise God in a loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen. So now at this moment in the story, Jesus is riding into town, and and as we had these kids just walking with these beautiful palm branches, people began to lay their cloaks on the ground so that the king, this savior, would not have to walk on the dirt. And they would lay palm branches for those that didn't have anything to lay on the ground. That's why we wave the palms. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. And Jesus comes into town. And in a moment, all of the disciples began to shout praises. Hosanna. Praise God. In fact, what they do is they begin to quote Scripture. Because as we read Scripture, we should have Scripture on our hearts. And in moments of sadness, quote Scripture. In moments of fear, quote Scripture. And in moments of joy, we should quote Scripture. And so the disciples begin to quote Psalm 118 as they say these words in verse 38. It said, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, if you're one of those people who gets it, you understand that Jesus is who he says he is. When he comes into town riding on that donkey and you see the way everybody's bowing down and and putting things at his feet, you understand what's going on. But if you're one of those people that you were expecting a king to come with a war horse and a sword, you're beginning to see some imagery that's becoming disturbing to you. Because this isn't how Jesus is supposed to be. This isn't what Jesus is supposed to do. They're praising this guy, but he's coming in like a sissy. He's declaring a victory when the Romans are still sitting on the throne. What's your perspective of Jesus? Do you have Jesus in a box to the point where if he doesn't live down to your expectations, that he's not worth worshiping? I asked this question in the earlier service. If if Jesus wasn't a white man, are you going to be disappointed? If Jesus disagrees with your politics, or if if Jesus maybe wouldn't like the thing that's going on in your life, are are you going to be disappointed? If Jesus doesn't worship in the style of music that you prefer, are you going to be disappointed? We have these expectations on Jesus, and when we do that, we make him small. And I promise you, Jesus is way bigger than any box that we can put him in. And so for this group of people, they're disappointed in Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? They're disappointed that Jesus isn't bringing the sword. They're disappointed that Jesus isn't riding on a big horse. They're they're disappointed in Jesus Christ. And the question I have for you today is if Jesus doesn't fit in your little box, are you disappointed in him? Do you only worship Jesus Christ when it's convenient for you? Because there's a lot of hard truths in this Bible that we don't necessarily like. And some of us pick those things out of the Bible and say, well, that was something that was only for that day, or we don't like that, so we're not going to hold to that truth. That's wrong. It's not our place, as we learned last week, to judge. 
We become so religious about what we think about Jesus and so religious about the certain style that we love to worship in that we actually let those things get in the way of our relationship with Jesus that cause us to go from Sunday saying Hosanna to Friday saying crucify. Do you get that this is the same town? They usher him in like a king and they kill him because he wasn't what they wanted him to be. That should churn your stomach because it bothers me. It's my opinion of Jesus so lensed by everything that I've learned by my own conveniences and my own purposes that I've become critical of God himself. The praises ring out. Those who get it Get it. Those who don't are starting to get disgruntled. Then there's the Pharisees. And as we said earlier, they have constantly been nitpicking at Jesus. And every time they try to nail him on something, Jesus comes back with something that makes him look even dumber. That's, it's awesome. I love watching Jesus work. He's about to do it again, church. Because you see, as they're crying out, The Pharisees being a political party, they're not willing to challenge the people because this is the whole town's crying out to Jesus in this moment. And they don't say, you people shut up because you're wrong. They say, Rabbi, rebuke these people. They're calling you the Son of God. Don't let them call you that. Rebuke them. When they make that statement, they're making a statement about Jesus that they do not, in fact, believe that He is the Son of God. They're also making this statement that some of them actually believe he's the son of God, but they're going to pretend not to because he doesn't meet their fancy. He doesn't meet what they are thinking. I think of the arguments I've had with atheists over the years who declare to me that they don't believe in God. And I challenge them and say, it's not the fact that you don't believe in God. You just don't like what God is because he's different than what you think. You don't like what God is because it's not convenient for you and it challenges your lifestyle to be better than what you want it to be. Some of the Pharisees don't like Jesus and want him to deny who he is because he's not a hypocrite. And they are. Do you hear what I'm saying, church? They want him to deny who he is because as much as they know it's true, they don't want it to be. Because they want the power. They want the authority over their own life. Your life is not yours. Jesus responds to them. you got to love Jesus. Mm, mm, mm. He says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, we hear a simple statement there of the stones will cry out. This is Old Testament language used throughout the Old Testament that that the creation recognizes who Jesus is. And so instead of Jesus silencing the crowd, he's now poking the bear. Saying, listen, I could tell them to be quiet all day long, but all of creation knows who I am because I was there when it was made. I am God. I am the Son of God. I am Jesus Christ. And I can tell them to be quiet. They're not going to shut up. And he continues on his donkey down the road. The Pharisees in this moment, I, I would love to see this moment. 
They're probably tearing their clothes and sprinkling ashes on their head, which is what they would do when they're really mad or really sorrowful. They're irate. They're beside themselves. They were ready to kill Jesus because of bringing someone back from the dead. He's done now. Jesus continues on his way. And I often think about this part of the story because all too often in church, we, we, we learned last week that we critically will think of one another. The Pharisees were being critical of Jesus. They were having an overcritical spirit. But as we saw in Mary and Martha last week, Martha's big sin was the fact that she was judging her sister. It wasn't bad, the things that she was doing. And, and here in the church, we oftentimes will have a critical spirit about one another. And, and it's important for us to remember that, that God does not hate hypocrites. He loves them. Because you're a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. And, and there's this popular trend in our culture today where people say, well, I hate the church, but I love Jesus because the church is filled with hypocrites. Well, do you not go to the doctor because there's sick people there? Do you not go to the gym because there's weak people there? That's what those things are designed for. We are all broken. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Pastor Robbie said the Da Vinci Code in church. You're not allowed to do that. But he's still blessed by God. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And what we do is, as church people, we go, ooh, that Pastor Robbie, he said the Vinci Code in church. I'm writing an angry letter and I'm not going to sign it. <laughs> Why do we get caught up in those things? Jesus Christ in this next moment demonstrates how we should be because these men literally are basically saying, Jesus, we're going to kill you because you, you, you need to stop this. You're not going to stop this. Now you're saying creation's going to cry out for you. Well, we're going to kill you. And Jesus riding on his colt, this donkey comes up over the hill and he sees Jerusalem. He sees the bride of Christ. He sees God's people, the hypocrites, the sinners, you and me. And for a second time, the Son of God, listen to me. He knows how the story's ending. He wrote the back of this book. What does the back of the book tell us? We win. Jesus knows that everything's going to be all right. But when he comes up over the hill and he sees Jerusalem, he weeps. It's okay for us to mourn, church. When you lose a loved one, cry your eyes out. Jesus did that with Lazarus, and he's now doing that for Jerusalem. He's crying over the city because they have turned their backs on him. He's riding into town as their king, and they're still failing to see. And in this moment, we don't see Jesus say, I hate these people. They don't listen to what I have to say. I'm glad they're going to burn in hell. He weeps. Church, we need to look at one another without a critical spirit, the way that Jesus just spoke of the Pharisees. It says this, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Do you weep over the lost? Do you weep over ISIS and pray for their salvation? We don't like to hear that one. But as a church, they're children of God too. They have the potential to be saved. And can you stomach 
sitting in church next to someone who used to murder children? Will you read from someone who used to murder people by the name of Saul or Paul? God can do anything. He can transform anybody. And his heart weeps over anybody that does not know him. Even the critical Pharisees. Even you. Even me. And even Pastor Robbie. Jesus leaves with these words, and I want to read them to you because I believe today we see the effects of what Jesus is saying in this scripture. Think of the Middle East today. And Jesus says these words, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would actually bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. He's speaking about Israel. They will hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This isn't Christ's desire. This isn't telling the consequence. Do you know that Jesus desires to have a relationship with you? That Jesus weeps over you? He desires for you to recognize that he is not a political figure? That he's not here to make trouble? He's here declaring to you that the battle has been won and we are victorious. I come in peace. Are you critical? Or are you at peace? The Pharisees, they denied him. The crowd confused who he was. But God said, He's my son. The Pharisees allowed their religiosity and their churchianity to get in in the way of seeing the king. I love how Pastor John and I, when we were studying this week, he said, when your churchianity takes over, your Christianity definitely will suffer. Are you suffering from being stuck on religion? It's not the church. The church is about having a relationship with God. Are you stuck on, on a certain theological bent that you can't see past? Listen to me. God's word is pure. Don't put lenses on when you read it. Let what you read in scripture, what Christ is saying to you, affect the way you look at everything else. Don't get this backwards. Don't be critical of God. Be critical of everything else. There's a difference between being critical and being discerning too. I hope you know that. We're called to be discerning. We're called to study theology. We're called to be involved politically. But those things have their place. They're not above God. Do you hear me, church? He loves you. He has declared victory. Are you living in victory? Or are you seething in anger? Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. 
We thank You that regardless of how broken and sinful we are, that You love us and You weep over us, God. That You wept over the Pharisees. And when we make statements like, well, we don't like church because there's sinners there, Lord, that's, those are ridiculous statements. Forgive us when those things come out of our mouth, God. Forgive us when we judge one another when it's not our place. But Your Word tells us that we're to go to one another in gentleness, love, and respect using Your Word to rebuke and correct. You also say in Your Word that if we do all these things without love, Lord, there's in fact, they're nothing. You came into Jerusalem victorious as the King. The crowds stood around screaming, Hosanna, our Savior is here. when you weren't the image that they thought you were. They killed you. They betrayed you. They abandoned you. And we sold you out. Lord, forgive us. Because as we look back in history, we discover that we are they. But this morning we sing Hosanna during the week we scream crucify minister to our hearts Lord it's by your mercy and your grace alone because on Friday they crucified you but on Sunday you got up and you declared victory you showed victory and you promised that one day for those of us who believe in you we will inherit eternal life with you Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy.